Welcome to this week's Investors Chronicle Personal Finance Podcast. I'm Lenora Walters, and joining me today from the home team are Dave Baxter and Mary McDougall, and Steve Kenny, Commercial Director at Square Mile Investment Consulting and Research. The Investors Chronicle Portfolio Clinic is a feature which involves readers sending in their financial and investment details for financial experts to comment on. But we can't run this unless you take part in them. So what better way to while away the hours in lockdown than to feature in the Investors Chronicle Portfolio Clinic and maybe get on top of your personal finances? If you want to take part, you can find the form you need to fill in on the Portfolio Clinic section of the website or email portfolio.clinic at ft.com or me, leonora.walters at ft.com. Markets have been volatile over the past few weeks, and before the surge, following the announcement of a US dollar two trillion US fiscal stimulus package earlier this week, there were some severe falls. But one area of investment had what you could describe as a better sell off. Dave, what area is this, and how much better did it fare? Hi, Leonora. So obviously, the sell-off has been difficult for most asset classes, most areas. But even in the equity space, one kind of fund that's held up a bit better is the ESG fund. Just to give you one example, if you look at the iShares ESG MSCI USA Leaders ETF, that's still made losses so far this year. But it's made more modest losses than the S&P 500. And generally, ESG funds have, although they've struggled like everything, they've struggled less than their underlying markets. Okay, so why did ESG, and um, just just to make it clear, people, ESG stands for Environmental, Social and Governance, uh, so so sort of ethical funds. Why did these ethical ESG funds fare better, let's say, than broader markets or conventional equities funds? There are... All sorts of reasons. I mean, one is partly that their criteria are leading them to some more kind of growth-oriented, stable companies. But one interesting area to focus on is the UK. So the UK has sold off a lot more than other global markets, in part because you've had both the coronavirus lockdown and you've had this um, price war in the oil market. In the UK, the fact that the ESG-focused funds don't tend to invest in areas like oil and gas has helped them and um, flattered their performance versus the rest of the market. Okay, and um, are there any other factors uh, in this? One interesting area where they diverge from um, the broader markets, if you look at global funds or you look at US funds, is the FANG stocks. So here we're talking about Facebook, Amazon, Apple, Netflix, and Alphabet, the holding company for Google. So ESG funds, because of their criteria, are much less likely to hold um, the FANG stocks, or at least most of the FANG stocks. I mean, the FANG stocks uh, have had varied levels of performance, but it's just because they're a large part of the markets and because they tend to lead the markets up and down, it's interesting for investors to be aware of this and just the the kind of performance elements of their choices when they go for ESG funds. Okay, now you've cited some key differences between um, ESG funds generally and conventional funds, but you know, is this the case of all ESG funds? Is this a kind of rule of thumb? Yeah, it's. I, I guess like any funds, you can't really assume they're going to invest in one way, and this applies as well to ESG funds. 
taking the fangs, for example, um, many of them tend not to invest in most of the fangs. But there are differences. For example, some have different views on Netflix, which is kind of viewed as a bit borderline whether it meets ESG criteria or not. As with any fund, you need to really carefully look at what the fund holds, what their process will allow and what they will or won't invest in. And obviously, you need to look at how this fits with your views on the world, if that's why you're buying an ESG fund. Um, But also, you need to consider how this will affect performance. I suppose ESG funds are not a mainstream area of investment. So, you know, there are these issues, but, you know, should most investors be worried about it, you know, who don't really bother with ESG funds? I think it's definitely worth um, keeping an eye on, even if you're not buying ESG funds yourself, just because um, ESG is becoming a bigger part of the market. Um, and as we are seeing it perhaps start to move into the mainstream, although like you said, it's perhaps not mainstream yet, that's going to influence markets. You're likely going to see stocks and funds that buy ESG friendly or have ESG friendly practices. They should be rewarded by the market. So you can benefit if you're investing in line with that. And generally, that will just kind of have an effect on performance, whichever way you invest. Another area to think about um, is investment style. Um, As we've discussed many times, you have the kind of line between quality investing and value investing. Quality investing has held up very well. Value investing has not over the last decade. ESG funds tend to Uh, down to their criteria, they tend to have more of a quality bias. Firstly, they've benefited from um, the trends of the last decade or so. And also, as we discussed earlier, they've had a better sell-off than um, their underlying markets. That in part will be down to the fact that investors are favouring those kind of quality companies with more of a defensive um, element. Okay, so, I mean, are there any ESG funds available to UK investors that take a a value-style investment approach? There may well be, but um, generally, you're more likely to have a quality bias. I guess what's interesting, if you're um, an investor who likes kind of value stocks and value funds, is with this shift um, more towards ESG, it's going to make it increasingly hard to find true value managers, which it all, already is hard because um, so many value managers have just struggled to survive in the last decade. So it's worth kind of looking at value funds to see, you know, whether they're maintaining that style, what they're doing. And one interesting example is recently the Temple Bar Investment Trust. Um, so the portfolio is run by Alistair Mundy, very renowned value investor at Investec. They recently had a motion to move away from investments that may be deemed unethical. Um, and what was eye-catching was the shareholders in the trust rejected that motion. Um, now, you can assume there that perhaps that is down to the fact that Mr. Mundy does buy some of these deep value stocks and taking such a kind of... Um, focus would restrict his ability to buy what he's good at buying. Okay, thanks, Dave. Now, Steve, do you think that funds which take an ESG investment approach will continue to experience less severe falls than, let's say, broader markets or broader um, equity funds as the coronavirus crisis unfolds? From my perspective, I think the term ESG very much can be used in two contexts. Firstly, in terms of 
trying to identify funds or securities that are doing good. But secondly, I think the, the more broader interpretation that's starting to become um, the way the market's interpreting it is ESG becomes a risk lens. So you'll actually find that most of the funds in the marketplace will apply ESG criteria to their security selection. Because invariably, what it should lead to is the identification of better securities for being chosen for funds, i.e. environmental companies that don't pollute, social companies that have good employee practice, governance in terms of making sure that the companies are well run and have a diverse board. So I think invariably ESG will lead to better practice. Better practice should lead to better performance and that should be better for underlying investors. In terms of do I think they will continue to enjoy or not be victims of the current falls in the market? Possibly, I think, but it very much is company specific. Now, are ESG funds usually less volatile than broader funds and markets? Again, it depends how you use the definition of ESG, because if you look at some of the criteria, you know, ESG could, as I've said, be used as a risk lens. But what you're starting to see is probably slightly different language used by the investment industry. And you're starting to see three types of language used for vehicles in this area. That would be exclusion. These are the funds that don't buy um, tobacco, pharmaceuticals, oil, banks, etc. Then you've got sustainable, which are effectively possibly where a lot of people view ESG. And these are sustainable businesses. And in the main, they could be deemed as disruptors or changers. And that, that could be the likes of solar energy, um, wind farms. Um, there's a great stock example that's used by a lot of companies, which is a company called Mohawk, which is a U.S. business, which makes carpets. And they make carpets out of recycling bottles, plastic bottles. And they recycle something in the region of 10 million bottles a day. So there you've got a business that's actually doing something extremely good for the environment, i.e. recycling plastic bottles, but making something incredibly practical, which is carpets for uses in offices and um, shopping centers where you get heavy footfall. And then, you know, your sort of governance situation, as I've said. So those type of disruptor type businesses should do better in the current situation because they tend to have a higher technology bias. Um, in terms of their operation and aren't sort of overladen by the old um, building infrastructure that some of the, the classic businesses in the stock market have. I mean, it's good that ESG funds have recently been less volatile and, like you say, maybe have, uh, you know, some holdings that could do better in the current situation. Um, but typically, higher risk and higher volatility are associated with better long-term returns. So do ESG funds underperform conventional funds over the longer term? It, it depends on your time frame. There's, there's a fair bit of work being done. Because this is a, a recent phenomenon, by, by recent, I mean, the last 10 years, this has become more mainstream. You're starting to see funds that have implemented ESG practices across their um, portfolio. They have tended to do better because they've applied a better security selection. Now, that just means they've actually done more thorough analysis using the three criteria we've talked about. 
Could that be the case for longer term? I, I think only time will tell, but I, I come right back to the premise. If you are taking greater care and greater due diligence in your security selection, you would hope that you'd be able to identify better securities for portfolios. Okay. Now, Dave mentioned that there's been a tendency for ESG funds to favour quality over value stocks. But are there any ways that uh, investors who uh, you know want to pursue, uh, I suppose, an ESG approach can also invest via a value style? Uh, well, I, I fundamentally am of the belief that ESG as an investment style will become the norm within the next two to three years. You've had some major institutions in the early part of 2020, organizations such as BlackRock, Schroders, all announced that they are going to be launching vehicles that have this at the heart of their investment process. And when you've got major institutions like that sort of taking this, taking the leadership role in this, I think the market as a whole will follow. And therefore, I think your opportunity set for identifying value-style funds will become more um, pronounced. However, uh, the the value opportunity set has diminished over recent times simply because the performance hasn't been there and investors have voted with their money and invested elsewhere. And therefore, fund groups haven't been launching vehicles of that type because there's just not been the demand. Okay, I mean, in this present time, um, I mean, if you want to, you know, sort of like do ESG value investing now rather than two, three years down the line, like you suggested, are there any sort of funds available to UK investors that, you know, are ESG and take a value uh, investment approach? There's some houses that have ESG very much integrated into their investment process. There's people like Lazard, um, a company called GMO, which is um, they've got a very pronounced sort of value tilt to the proposition. Um, Schroders do have some portfolios that have a value tilt to them. Um, and then you've got the, a, a little-known company in Scotland called the Scottish Value Managers. They very much have a value tilt to how they operate. So that, that those houses do have vehicles within them that investors could look at. When you're choosing um, ESG funds, value otherwise, Dave mentioned that there's actually tremendous variation between them. You know, some think, I don't know, Netflix is okay, some don't, some look at this, some look at that. So, I mean, can you actually define what an ESG or responsible investment fund is? So, the Investment Association, which is the organisation, the trade body for mutual funds in the UK, is trying to help in that regard because... I would agree with what Dave said. There is tremendous confusion in the marketplace. And what they've asked the industry to do is to adopt three primary descriptors in terms of helping investors understand what the vehicles into which they're investing are going to do. One is exclusion, which is very much along the lines of the type not investing in vehicles or securities like tobacco, etc. Sustainability, and impact, which is about investing in items that do uh, have good impact to the environment. And that, you know, the examples of that, like social housing bond funds, um, they tend to be more challenging for the mutual fund market to bring to market because invariably impact by its very nature would probably be the likes of infrastructure. And the problem with 
investments of that type, they come with all the challenges of property funds, i.e. their longer-term investments, whereas the retail saver is very much looking for the immediacy of access um, in terms of their savings that may not be suited to that longer-term design of the likes of infrastructure. So I think you will start to see a number of new vehicles come to market with those types of descriptors that should help the underlying investors identify what the funds are doing. In the present time, um, where can investors get more information on an ESG fund's ethical position and investment style? Most fund groups produce their fact sheets, which they have to do. In terms of the, the, the areas to look for their information, there's definitely the fact sheet is first and foremost because it will give you an indication of what the fund's objective is. Then by looking at terms of they usually show the top 10 holdings, again, you can get a strong steer there by the types of securities listed as to what type of investment style there is. And finally, the company websites. Company websites are now spending an enormous amount of money in terms of ensuring the information they contain about how they invest, their style of investment, etc., is in plain English and therefore easily understandable by the end investor. So th- those would be my primary suggestions. Okay, thank you, Steve. Some really helpful points. Investing amid turbulent markets and uncertainty over your future financial prospects might seem like the last thing that you should do. But if you're saving for your retirement or another goal, not investing now might be a really bad strategy. Mary, you've been looking at this. Why? As you say, Leonora, stock markets are very volatile at the moment. And despite a recent bounce, there are plenty of reasons to believe that we've not reached the bottom of the trough yet. Everything's still really uncertain We don't know when the virus will peak. We don't really know how long it will take for a vaccine to come to market. We don't know how long the economy will be on lockdown for. That said, markets are decidedly cheaper than they were six weeks ago. And I think it's fair to say that in the long term, they will recover. And when they do, it can happen quite quickly. So it's good to be invested to benefit from the upside. Should you pour money into a market then? (sighs) I don't think that's a good idea. Timing the market's impossibly difficult. But I think monthly instalments is probably a good way to start, possibly weekly, but any more regularly and you're in danger of over-engineering the benefits. And there's also a chance you'll have to pay platform fees. Most platforms facilitate a monthly investment plan where you can pay in a fixed amount automatically. But by investing monthly and dripping into the markets, you can benefit from pound cost averaging. So this means that as you're paying a fixed amount each month, you're buying more shares when prices are lower. So the average amount you pay for your stocks is slightly lower than the average price of the times you invested. So that's how it can can smooth out what you're buying in volatile markets and falling markets. Okay, I mean, that sounds like a great strategy. Are there any other strategies uh, you can uh, follow to sensibly deploy your money into markets such as like we have them now? Yeah, so you, you don't have to put in the same amount each month, although it can save you hassle if you do. Um, But another technique which some people like is called value averaging. And this is where you set a target growth rate for your portfolio each month and then adjust the next month's contribution according to the relative gain or shortfall made on the original investment value. So, for example, suppose you already have £10,000 invested and you want to increase it by £1,000 every month. If 
after a month, the account is worth £10,100, you'd add £900 to push the value up to £11,000. So with this strategy, as you'll put more money in when markets have fallen, you'll buy more of your shares at a lower price. Okay, I mean, look, these sound great ways, both these ways. But there's always a flip side, isn't there? I mean, what are the drawbacks to the uh, value averaging and what are the drawbacks to the pound cost averaging? There must be some. Yeah, so with the value averaging, um, it's good because you're partly shielded from paying too much for stocks when the market is hot. But the drawback is that you don't know how much you have to put in every month. So it requires more attention than fixed instalments. And also, if markets continue to rise, you may miss out on gains as you'll be holding money back. And that can have quite a substantial impact on total returns when you factor in the effect of compounding. And then you asked about the drawbacks to pound cost average. Quite similar to the value averaging, by dripping in over the long term, you may miss out on on valuable market returns. And of course, many people invest on a monthly basis because that's how they're paid. But generally speaking, it's good to be fully invested as markets rise. Okay, um, bearing these in mind, um, if you can tolerate these risks, they're not a big issue for you. Are there any particular types of investments that um, drip feeding your money into the market works better with? So it works best with volatile asset classes. So it's really best place for equity markets. For less volatile asset classes, um, such as bonds, there's less incentive to smooth price discrepancies. and You may end up paying more in transaction fees. Another very interesting area at the moment is investment trusts, because they have the additional volatility of trading at a premium or net asset value. Um, I got a note for Winterflood this morning saying that the average discount is currently 12%. This compares with um, a 1% average discount on investment trusts at the start of the year. So while investors are in for a bumpy ride, um, assuming discounts narrow over the longer term, this will provide an extra boost to your return. Okay. And are there any um, particular areas that might be good to access at the moment? And how would you get uh, exposure to them? I think it depends on your personal circumstances. Um, as the global pandemic spreads, picking a geographical area to invest in is quite problematic. Um, so you might want to look at a global fund or thematic funds are quite interesting at the moment because the pandemic could really shake up some industries and you can invest in sectors um, that you think are likely to thrive in the future, such as perhaps technology or healthcare. Um, what, for example, would be a, a good fund for accessing healthcare stocks? The Polar Capital Healthcare Trust is very well respected. It's got a very experienced team and um, you can access it in both an open-ended or a closed-ended format, dependent on your, your preference. OK, now, Steve, um, do you <coughs> think that pound cost averaging is the best way investors to invest in current market conditions? I would agree entirely. I think, you know, given the volatility in the market, so much depends on your personal circumstances. Pound cost averaging allows you to ease money into the market in uncertain times. And I think that's a sensible strategy at the current time, because as you highlighted at the beginning of the program, the stock market has been down at the start of the week and it looks like it's going to finish roughly 15% up at the end of the week. So 
that is very difficult to call as an end investor when is the right time to buy the market. So I definitely think in the current situation, pound cost averaging is a sensible way to deploy your capital into the market. Okay. Now, Mary highlighted some shortcomings of this approach. Would you um, like a bit? Would you highlight any, or um, you know, what would you, you know, what don't you like about pound cost averaging? Well, you know, the, the the great thing about any investment strategy is the benefit of hindsight is always the real wisdom. Um, you know, you could you think you may be able to call the market as as and when. I think that that the negatives highlighted already cover the issues. You you are in effect averaging in over a period of time. During that period of time, the market may have moved quite substantially. However, it depends on your attitude to risk. If you're willing to make that risk of deploying your capital in one go, that's absolutely fine. But then you've got to think about being in the market for a long-term investment. And that would be north of probably three to five years. Okay. Now, would you sort of highlight any other approaches investors could take to investing in volatile markets? Or do you think this is really the main, main thing you should do? I think those two strategies are probably the most sensible at this moment in time. And I can't really think of anything other. You know, a number of the platforms do offer the facility to place money into cash to save you any challenge of managing the money being dripped into the market. And then they will take on the process of moving money from cash into the market on a monthly basis as prescribed by yourself. So that might be a a secondary sort of supplementary idea to the solution outlined. We've been highlighting some of the virtues of you know investing, taking a long-term view, etc. But is it always a good idea for everybody to invest in tanking markets? I think the fact that you're buying in at a significantly cheaper market than it was six weeks ago. Now, undoubtedly, the environment we're currently living through is going to change or has caused a significant change and there will be undoubted economic effects that will probably run into the end of this year. However, the, the positive is the stimulus supplied by the governments around the world is quite significant and therefore they are fundamentally looking to minimize that effect over the longer term. So the markets do now look reasonable, and I think if you are a long-term investor, this is probably a very good time to enter the market with that sort of time horizon of three to five years. So, you know, I would definitely commend people looking at the market at this moment in time if they are a long-term saver. Thank you, Steve. Some really helpful points. And see this week's money section for Mary's full guide on how to invest in turbulent markets and some more funds into which you could drip feed your money. That brings us to the end of today's show. But see Investors Chronicle or the website at investorschronicle.co.uk for more on investment strategies, ESG investing and value investing. Thank you for listening. Hope you are well and have a good weekend.